be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my way. She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by, by, actually, it's been so long since we've taped an episode, all of our fake sponsors ran off, and now we have to say something about it. What are we, Fox News? Come on, somebody sell something. By Big Dave Perkins behind the board. (laughs) Welcome back, listeners. No, we didn't cancel the show. No, we did not uh, all get eaten. No, I did not get sucked into the Black Lodge. Uh, thank you for putting up with us during this uh, our unexpected hiatus. Uh, Mickey, I don't know about you. I did hear from a lot of our fans that not having a show was the biggest disappointment in their lives since the NBA Finals. I, I would have to agree with you. Um, I'm so glad to be back here with you. So glad to be back here with Dave and our listeners. Um, you know, summer can be a very sketchy time of year for all of us. Um, we have things that come up in our personal lives and our professional lives. And so, listeners, we be- ask that you just bear with us throughout the summer um, as we may have to take some weeks off here or there. But we promise we have not given up on you and we have not abandoned you. We will let you know if anything happens. Um, but yeah, you know, it's been kind of crazy because even though our listeners, longtime listeners know that I'm not a huge NBA fan, um, I'm not a huge basketball fan in general, I'm not even a huge hockey fan, although obviously I support my pens. Um, it's been a crazy couple of weeks in sports and I think, you know, once again, America is lacking in sleep. Because the finals have run, you know, we had the NBA finals running one night and then it seemed like the very next night we would have the hockey finals going. And with all of that going on, there were a lot of, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of things changing back and forth. Now, you guys have to know, um, I grew up watching the Pens, and, but I'm, I, I don't have the commitment. It's like, it's like baseball to me. I don't have the commitment that it takes to be a full-time hockey, basketball, or baseball fan because you need to be watching games and matches – Almost every single day. I, 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 maybe that's why football works so well for me because I'm limited to, you know, my team really only plays once a week. Sure, there are games on a couple nights a week, but my team only plays one night a week so I can be very committed to that. Now, having said that, I, I, we, we're left with some questions here at the end, Jim. First of all, you know, you get into the NBA Finals and, and what a run it was for the Golden State Warriors. It does bring into question, of course, the Kardashian curse. <laughs> Well, let, let's step back for one second. First of all, <clears throat> Mickey, as a uh, Peng- Pittsburgh Penguins fan, how many games of the NHL Finals did you watch? Okay, so here's the thing. I am actually terrified that I'm bad luck for the Pens. Ah, okay. Because I am one of those fans that like, when I do watch, I feel like suddenly they do very poorly when I'm watching. Um, and so this particular series, I tried to limit the time that I actually spent watching the games. And I did a lot of what I would call flipping back and forth. And, um, and, and, and kind of, you know, I'd see some of the game and then quickly flip away so as to not curse them in any way. Okay. And, and and I had something really exciting happen because I was watching Game 6 the other night and I, I – well, not watching, but again, doing my flip back and forth thing so as to not 
taint them. And when I flipped over, the score was zero zero, and there were only a few minutes left. And so I found myself watching, and they scored twice. So I have reason to believe that my own personal curse has been lifted. <laughs> and I may be okay to watch Penn's games again. So you're allowed to become a hockey fan. Good for you. Yeah, um, I was going to say that uh, my, I consider myself someone who really only gets interested in these sports when the championships uh, uh, kick in and, and perhaps a little more interested in the NBA than usual in recent years. But let's point out that when the last three years, it's been Golden State Warriors versus Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. We've now reached a point where the entire, not just the entire NBA season, but almost all of the postseason amounts to the preseason for the actual competitive part, which is the <laughs> Warriors and Cavaliers. Um, and as much as, you know, uh, I, I'm just going to observe, I'm trying to think, is any, so if you added up all the years that LeBron was on the Heat, they were in the finals for four straight years. And then he went to the Cavaliers, and the Cavaliers have been in the, they only won three championships. But has any player in any sport played in seven consecutive championship games? I, 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 I can't think of one um, right off tops, listeners. I'm open to that. But no, you know, this is why the discussion becomes obviously, you know, is LeBron the greatest basketball player of all time? And I think that there's certainly arguments be made to that. The, the only unfortunate thing for LeBron, of course, is that he has other teammates. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, once I saw so the, the finals come around, I become my casual fandom begins to flicker and, and catch fire. I tune in Warriors demolish him in game one. Oh, OK, second game Warriors demolish him in game two. And then mm. it kind of tunes out like, OK, it's done. And uh, they did take it to five games. But I am among those who would look at this and say, wow, for a while, it looked like we we're going to have this exciting uh, dueling dynasties clash of the Titans between these two teams. Uh, and now I think it's now with with, I believe, basically the West Coast all-star team uh, all playing in Golden State Warriors uniforms. At this point, you got to wonder just how interesting is the rest of the the, the NBA season. Is it time? Is it soon going to be time to break up the Golden State Warriors? Uh, because you can't have arguably four of your best players uh, on in, in the entire league all on one team. At least three, at least three of them, I think. Uh, well, and well. and again, the big problem with that is like you think about those numbers, and in terms of basketball, when you only have five on the court at a time. Yeah. You know, know, that's pretty good percentage numbers you've got working for you there. But again, you know, the big ad for this year for the Golden State Warriors was they added Kevin Durant to the lineup. And and that certainly did change the game considerably. And I am by no means a huge basketball fan, as you all know. Um, I generally refer to it as, oh, one of those round ball games. (laughs) But at the same time, I find myself fascinated because, you know, we are getting more familiar with these specific teams because they keep making it into the finals. Everyone knows who LeBron is. Um, if you don't know, then there's something seriously wrong with you. Um, but Steph Curry kind of made his name a few years ago, even before they had won the championships. And as they added these stars, certainly that's a big draw, even though obviously anytime you have a finals, there's going to be a draw. There's a huge draw there as well. But of course, this year, as I have referenced in my kind of opening, was that we also have Tristan Thompson, who plays for the Cavaliers and is currently involved with Khloe Kardashian. That's right. So you you were not you, your equivalent of the hockey curse. Yes, was hers in basketball, or is it the entire Kardashian family are considered bad luck for uh, uh, for those in the NBA? They're considered bad luck in general, really, ah! um, because the, she she obviously you know she was with Lamar Odom and, and his career, while not her fault necessarily, but his career went downhill. Some may remember that Kim Kardashian was involved with Reggie Bush. 
Well, that's right. For many years. Um, and, and, and many people blamed her for his lack of production in certain years as well. Um, and, and, you know, I don't put a great deal of weight on these so-called, you know, curses or involvement. But there's something, to, you know, obviously there's always going to be that tie in. Sports fans are exceptionally superstitious. And the Kardashians are an easy target. Yeah. Well, you know, so is the theory that they were a distraction to players who were involved with them or that they were physically exhausting? <clears throat> I have heard a little of both. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, obviously, yes, there's a great deal more media attention on anyone who was dating one of our royal family members. <laughs> um, so people pay a little bit more attention to that. So there's a lot more press, a lot more angles. Um, there's a lot more gossip that surrounds it, which can be a distraction. But I think um, more importantly, I think that people often see these women, and, and I will say this about my Kardashian fandom and my friends that you know are on TV, that I, I truly believe that these women are attracted to damaged individuals. <laughs> and so therefore, it's not uncommon for the individuals that they happen to be involved with to fall into difficult times. <laughs> That's a good point. If you're dating a Kardashian, you've already demonstrated an appetite for risk. Yes. And uh, those risks that you're taking are likely to pile up in other aspects of your life or something like that. And it was ironic this week because Chris uh, Jenner actually did an article um, and, and did an interview earlier this week where she said she feared for her grandchildren. Because, you know, now they've got a whole plethora of grandchildren from Mason and Penelope and Rain and Saint and North and now Dream joins the pack. Um, th there are a lot of these grandchildren out there that, you know, these are just kids and they're attached to this family that, you know, one could say they are probably one of the more targeted, those targeted families by, you know, paparazzi, by gossip columnists. And certainly I would think, you know, by scammers and, and Kendall, who everyone knows is my favorite, um, Kendall has run into a lot of problems as is Kylie with stalkers and things like that. You know, recently, as last year, Kim was having the problems in Paris where she was robbed at gunpoint. So, you know, I get where the fear of all of that comes from. Do you think there's a solution for that? I, I was going to say, if you're if you're a Kardashian and you find yourself in a terrible, uh, tense situation and, and people are hostile to you, don't you just need to hand them a Pepsi? <laughs> Worked in the commercial. Stop the riot. I, I think it's I think it's really difficult too because as much as these people, you know, we feel like we know them, we feel like they're a part of our lives. We don't know them. We only know what the camera allows us to see of them. And unfortunately for them, they don't really know us either. Mm. You know, they've always long before we knew who the Kardashians were, they were rich and exceptionally famous in their own right in LA. And I've said this before, but always remember that Kim Kardashian had her 13th birthday party at Michael Jackson's house. Yeah, and also, how old was she when allegedly OJ threatened to kill himself in her bedroom? Uh, she would have been... Uh, she, 94? Was, I, I was going to say, she would have been a teenager, probably 15, 16, yeah. There you go. Um, I remember seeing that in the FX series and going, oh, okay. All right, that explains a little bit about her. All right, you know. Well, and I think it's one of those things, too, where people often say, you know, well, she's famous for being famous. Like, yeah, that's fine. You can take that approach if that's what you want to believe. But understand this, she was already really rich. Yeah, and, and traveling in, in well-connected Hollywood uh, uh, circles and things like that. No, Exactly. I, you know, 
So, yeah, farewell NBA and NHL seasons. This was our chance to care about you. Um, it was a flickering ember of interest that died <laughs> off uh, with the uncompetitive series. Uh, thankfully, I understand many uh, catfish are now being released into the wild and no longer have to fear Go Pens! death onto the, uh, onto the ice of, a, of an NHL game. Um, and we can turn to real sports just a couple of weeks away. Well, and of course, that leaves us now with, and what are we supposed to do with our time, Jim? Well, I thought I was going to have something that was going to keep me entertained and dissecting, uh, dissecting it all summer long. But um, nope, nope. Don't wait 25 years for a television show to come back, Mickey. Can Ooh, break your heart. We're going to talk about Jim's disappointment when we come back after this. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. There's a bold one in every family. Anywhere the bold one goes, he gets dirtier than anyone else. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. Here's Cousin Harriet, here's Cousin Gilbert, and um, here you are. He's the bold one, he's the one we want. Bold, for the bold one in your family. Bold can make the bold one right. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with my co-host, Jim Garrity, and we've been waiting for, well, 25 years, Jim's been waiting, for Twin Peaks to return, and they have made their glorious return to Showtime. And Jim, you're just thrilled beyond belief, right? I wish I was, Mickey. You know, I, I can't say, ever since the day you and I first met face-to-face in Old Town Alexandria was the day they announced a couple years ago that they were bringing back Twin Peaks on Showtime. It was kismet. A what? And the entire time I was sitting there thinking, oh, could you imagine doing the segment and getting a chance to share with our listeners how amazing and awesome it was to have a show that you love in your teenage years and it ends on a cliffhanger and it's complicated and mysterious and thought provoking and and has all kinds. Of, and it comes back. And folks, if you've been watching it based on my recommendations, I'm sorry. The third season is really different from what has come before. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's totally without value. I'd say about at once every week or so we get uh, at least one scene that is thought-provoking or interesting or very cinematic. Or there's, I'm not saying it's terrible. It's not quite Phantom Menace, but ha! it's really different. <laughs> I like the fact that you're at least taking somewhere. responsibility for this. Well, you have led our listeners down a path. <laughs> And I think it's important that you take responsibility when it sucks. <laughs> well, here's and it's the, the alongside I, I, I'm plugged in with a whole bunch of you know the true diehard, uh, qu- more than a little bit obsessive eating cherry pie and drinking black coffee uh, uh, fan crowds, and it, the reaction is pretty evenly split. There are a lot of folks who say a lot of people say this is probably best described as the David Lynch show, much less than Twin Peaks. Um, and for those who are familiar with David Lynch's uh, previous work, whether it's Blue Velvet, Lost Highway, um, uh, uh, Mulholland Drive, um, there's this constant um, – it's weird. It, I describe it as Look, really we, those of us who were not Twin Peaks fans back in the day uh, – raise your hands. That would be me. Um, I, I think it's important to note that he was always weird. Yes. Maybe you were just a weird kid. No, so here's the thing, because a good way of describing it is I'm a diehard fanatical Twin Peaks fan, and I like David Lynch. And what I always thought made Twin Peaks special was it was David Lynch with his co-writer Mark Frost as like, it's like a shot in a chaser. You have something that's really, really strong booze, 
and Mark Frost is there to be what you mix into it to make it more palatable and go down easier. Um, and unfortunately with this, now look, Mark Frost is, is allegedly co-writing all of these episodes. Uh, but, but, you know, they just allegedly, I love how you put that in there. Now here, as, as as the listeners know, and as you guys know, I, I am not a Twin Peaks watcher. I watched that God awful movie, which you claim really was, you know, out of place if I didn't understand what was going on. And I, that's, that was, that was coherent compared to what we're getting so far. (laughs) I yearn for the simplicity and easygoing and cheerful nature of fire walk with me, the 1992 film. Um, here's what I would have to ask you. Is it simply because the format has changed so much because there are new characters being introduced or do you truly feel like they just completely missed the mark on this one? One thing that they said very early on, uh, there are 18 episodes of this, but they said they really didn't try to think of it as a television show. They thought of it as uh, an 18-hour movie or an eight, you know, a novel, and each one is a chapter of a novel. As a result of it, the pacing is really weird and really off. Uh, some big things happen in the two-hour. They, they showed the first two episodes as like a two-hour pilot. And certain things that happened there and seemed really important in that episode, we have not come back to at all. And you don't know whether that storyline has been completely dropped and is not relevant to anything else or whether so that we, another, I'll, I'll describe it pretty well. And this is sort of spoilers. We're six episodes in about a third of the way. The end. So throughout the original series, uh, FBI agent Dale Cooper was constantly talking into a tape recorder and addressing someone named Diane. And some people wondered if that was an imaginary friend or something like that. But he would ask for things and he would get stuff sent to him that were related to the FBI. So it came clear. It's probably somebody at FBI headquarters. It's either a secretary or an aide uh, or somebody who has access to stuff and could help him out back, back at the home office, so to speak. In this, there's been a lot of speculation heading into this season. Are we going to get to see Diane? Is this actually going to be a character? Laura Dern was cast, and a lot of people said, oh, she and Kyle MacLachlan have been making movies for a long time for, for a long time together. Wouldn't it be great if she played Diane? End of episode four, they say something's wrong with Cooper. We need, there's some one person we need to check him out. And uh, one, side, one FBI agent says to another, do you know where she is? And the next guy responds, I know where she drinks. So from that, fans are like, ooh, ooh, we're going to get to see Diane. Nothing happens in episode five. We never return to those characters. Then finally, in episode six, we get to see Agent Albert Rosenthal go into this rain, you know, going through the rain, swearing at Gene Kelly uh, about how much he hates Gene Kelly and he doesn't like, feel like singing in the rain. He goes into the bar. He sees a blonde woman. She turns around and says, hello, Albert. And he says, hello, Diane. And that's all we get. So we've now had about two hours of screen time building up to Diane. And we've gotten one line of dialogue. The pacing is just so weird and so off-putting. Now, look, maybe when all 18 episodes are together, it'll feel like you've read a novel and all these pieces will fit together. But as is, um, it just it's extraordinarily slow-moving, even by the standards of David Lynch. And it's just um, – it's not enjoyable television. Do you I th- can't believe I'm saying that about this show. Wow. I, and I, I almost feel like I should offer you condolences. Um, considering how much you have anticipated this. And that, that does make me wonder if you've anticipated it too much, as we often do with things that we love. Um, but I, it does also make me wonder, in the age of binge-watching, mm. if this pacing and, and the, you know, how, how much ability do we have to wait week to week to find out what's going to happen? That's a really fair question, and uh, I can't help but notice that you know the first two episodes came out on a Sunday night a few weeks ago. 
Uh, and then Showtime said, okay, we're putting episodes three and four available on demand at midnight right afterwards. So you could watch four episodes in a very quick span. And my sneaking suspicion is Showtime looked at the first two episodes and said, um, if we give them this <laughs> and then make them wait for anything else, uh, the reaction is going to be a lot more negative than if we give them four chapters of this book to start. And, and the way I kind of put it is that maybe, particularly if you make a show that is this sequential, in which each episode is not so self-contained, then maybe you need to make it bingeable. Maybe I'd be feeling very differently if we had 18 episodes all coming out uh, like a Netflix show or something like that. Um, this is a, it's very conceivable that this format doesn't work well. Because you think about it, it's not like you, if you buy a novel, pick it up, read a chapter, and then put it down for a week. Then go back a week later, pick it up, read another chapter, then put it down. Um, <coughs> it, it may be that the format of this story doesn't match the week-by-week format that... Uh, that Showtime is, uh, uh, you know, planned on using with this. Well, and it was, it's interesting, and I was looking for the quote just now because someone earlier this week um, was talking about binge-watching things, and I, I want to believe it was David Kelly, the creator of Big Little Lies and other TV shows, and he was specifically talking about how binge-watching changes things and how it's like eating an entire bag of chips at one time. In the sense that you get the chips, you you get it all, but you don't really get to savor what any of them taste like. And so with e- with each of these episodes as they come out, if they were meant to be savored and discussed, and you know, we used to have this thing called water cooler discussions mm-hmm. around, you know, oh, did you see what happened on this episode? And even on this show, we've discussed previously, you know, when they've had cliffhangers in the past, you know, when you and I were probably too young to even really be totally involved, we still remember the who shot JR controversy and the idea of like, oh my God, did you see the episode last night? I can't wait to see what happens next week. That's not really how people watch TV now. It isn't. And I think uh, if I was working on a television series moving forward, I think I would probably try to decide very consciously is this an NCIS or is this something where there's not going to be a huge amount continuing from one episode to the next? Uh, we're not going to have a lot of cliffhangers. We're not going to have something where <coughs> you're, you're really going to leave the audience in frustration. Because if you are, then maybe doing a Netflix style, releasing everything at once and making it bingeable uh, works very well. It will work better for that. Um, I, I think the other thing is that particularly if a show like Twin Peaks, which requires a lot of attention to detail, a lot of nuance, a lot of little uh, lines of dialogue that are actually shrouded clues or might have some additional meaning or something like that. On the one hand, I love a show that's like this. On the other hand, if you watch it, you think about it, and then you go and you live your life for a week. Maybe you go online and see what people are saying about it or something like that if you're a crazy nut job fan like myself. But by the time Sunday night rolls around, you kind of have forgotten everything that happened in the last episode. So I think you kind of have to decide what kind of a story you want to tell here. And uh, at this point, the other thing also is, which is worth noting is that the old show used to be on ABC. And for the, its time, it was considered very edgy, very exciting, uh, more sex and violence and, and you know, intensity uh, than you might have expected in network television at the time. Well, now it's on Showtime. And we can see boobies. We can see blood. We can see all kinds of stuff that we you know, could not see on network television. We can have characters swearing and stuff like that. And David Lynch does not hold back when it comes to stuff like that. Um, 
it, it's been, you know, I was watching with uh, one of my friends, the, the pilot, uh, and we're watching, and there's a scene that would just be straight out of a horror movie, straight out of, you know, blood flying, you know, squirting the ketchup everywhere, so to speak. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's what people are looking for. The, oh, the original series, which I still recommend and still think could be one of the best shows I've ever seen, had a lot of heart to it, a lot of warmth, a lot of whimsy, um, and this show is dark. And uh, it kind of makes it tough to recommend to people uh, who aren't ready to watch something that is uh, can, without warning, suddenly turn into something out of like one of the Saw movies. I think it's fascinating that you're discussing a show that, again, 25 years old, focused on the death of a homecoming queen who turned out to be a whore type prostitute coke addict who was actually being killed by someone or something, Bob, as you've explained to me. Who really possessed people, and and you know took them over almost like a demonic possession, as now being recreated as something dark. Yeah, this, exactly. <laughs> how, how does it get darker than that? And does it do you any favors? Yeah, um, probably one of the good ways of of putting it is that the old. First of all, the old show was titled Twin Peaks and was very much about this town. There very rarely would you have an episode, a scene or something that took place outside of the town. The current Showtime series has scenes in Las Vegas, has scenes in New York, has scenes in uh, South Dakota. It it really is global. And as much as it's kind of interesting to see the world beyond this small town, uh, for those of us who fell in love with the original series, when we get 10 minutes of of, of things happening in the old characters and in the old town and 20 minutes this this next episode or something like that, there is this this suspicion amongst uh, fans that, that David Lynch wasn't all that sure how much he really wanted to make another series about Twin Peaks, but he had all these other ideas, and he just stuck them into the pre-existing world of Twin Peaks and decided to explore them. Maybe David Lynch will disagree with that accusation. Um, I don't, I, I, because I have so much admiration for everybody involved with this, I don't like poo-pooing this series, and I'm hoping it gets better in the remaining 12 episodes. Um, but I can't, you know, I can't lie to these listen- listeners. I respect you too much not to lie to you and say, look, at this point so far, six episodes in, it's not fun television. And sometimes, you know, the elements of the show change when you change the location. And uh, we're going to talk about a, a show that's running into that problem right now and, and some other issues that seem to be surrounding it. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And we're going to be talking about The Bachelor and The Bachelor in Paradise. Hurry, folks. Step right up. Shoot a duck and win a jar of natural orange flavor tang. It's the new improved tang that tastes better than ever. Boy, I like instant tang, but I hate the idea of shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck, duck, and get this big jar of tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You missed, but you can't miss with tang. And if you really want tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mm. Just cuddle in some of that tang. Okay, Aunt Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable tangster? Now wait, I was just kidding. March. Step right up, folks. Get the rabbit and win a big jar of tang. It's a living free tang, gang. It's tangerific. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And you know what? Something remarkable has happened in the world of reality television. It has actually attracted my attention in the sense that 
Bachelor in Paradise, the ABC series, uh, has suspended production on their on uh, the uh, summer season of Bachelor in Paradise, a cheesy spinoff of the Bachelor franchise, which sends them to a resort in Mexico and gives them a shot at love. Uh, the network offered this really vague description uh, that basically said that something inappropriate had happened. Um, but now apparently there are more reports coming out of, quote, a serious allegation of sexual misconduct and the claim it took place under the eyes of the producers. Mickey, as my, my resident expert, as my guru on all things reality television, what the heck is going on here? First of all, can I just say I am so disappointed because I was actually looking forward to this and now they're suggesting that they aren't going to continue filming and they may not continue filming because of this. And I blame Demario. Um, now, the, the, the people involved here are Demario Jackson and Corinna Olympias. Now, what's important about this is I have not been a dedicated Bachelor, Bachelorette watcher for a long time. However, as our listeners know, I kind of picked it up a little bit last season during The Bachelor, and I've been watching this season of The Bachelorette. The two people involved are from those specific seasons. And as Jim alluded to, these people are kind of the cast-offs. They didn't win. They didn't get the final rose. So they all get shipped off to some tropical location. In this case, it was Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And generally, you know, they are, as reality show contestants are, applied with drinks. They're very attractive. They're put together in situations. And, you know, and the producers are just hoping for sparks to fly. Well, as it turns out, there's a lot of different reports coming out about this. As you mentioned, um, Warner Brothers has been exceptionally vague leading up to the outside of the fact that they said they have suspended production um, and that, you know, until everything is being investigated thoroughly. The rumors on the, uh, around the interwebs and from TMZ and others um, and pretty much everyone else talking about this at this point suggests that both Demario and Corinne, who Corinne was my favorite on The Bachelor uh, last season, the one that I watched with Nick. I didn't like Nick. I didn't really care who he ended up picking, but I thoroughly enjoyed Corinne and felt like she should have her own show because I found her to be so adorable and hysterical. Now, rumor has it that they were um, imbibing in some alcoholic beverages, some adult beverages, and they were hanging out at, you know, the, the club pool uh, bar, if you will, and the two of them decided to take their little romantic liaison into the pool. Something went down in the pool. Now, it seems to me um, that there doesn't seem to be any disagreement that there was some sexual contact of some kind, although... Demario Jackson um, denies that there was anything done without consent because the concern seemed to be that Corinne was in too, entirely too intoxicated to give consent. I'm going to come back to that in a second um, because Demario, who got kicked off The Bachelorette because he had a girlfriend, was sent to this. Now he was as he was kicked off the bachelorette less than two weeks ago. So only, you know, maybe two, three weeks into the season. So this guy who clearly, you know, likes to surround himself with drama ends up in the center of this as well. Um, he has come out and said that he actually would like to see the tape. Um, because here, here's obviously one of the catch 22s is that these people are never alone. There are producers, there are people, um, there are cameramen, there are people around constantly checking sound, checking lighting, checking everything else because it's a show, it's a production. The complaint seems to have been filed by someone who um, was not necessarily present 
at the time, but heard about it from other staff members. So, of course, then the concern becomes, was there, you know, was there an assault? Was there anything going on? It is my understanding at this time, Corinne has not said that there was an assault, has not said that, you know, has not filed charges. Um, she has said that, you know, there were things that happened. But again, she's been kind of limited in, in the things that um, she has said as far as the actual footage is concerned. Um, DeMario, however, believes that he did nothing wrong. Um, he said, you know, there's rubbing, touching, and um, I'm not going to say the other thing that he said was going on because it, I can't even say it out loud, me. Um, but it, Shy, demure. Yeah, exactly. Quiet, um, me. Um, let's just say there was some licking involved uh, and some okay. possible manual stimulation. Okay. Uh, there, there are people that have seen the footage that suggest that it was completely consensual, that yes, they were intoxicated, but that, you know, it wasn't necessarily, um, anything that would be necessarily considered criminal. Uh, DeMario, on the other hand, is still looking to lawyer up because of course, in this day and age, you never really know when either Corinne's going to change their mind or, you know, even the producers could come after him for loss of, um, income, wages, et cetera. So, so there's a lot to kind of digest here because initially, obviously, as I've said, the the cameras were rolling. Yeah, I, this this you know any allegations of a crime you'd think would be pretty straightforward or easy to sort out here. Correct. Um, Although, according to Demario, in his own defense, he has suggested, according to TMZ, that while all of this kind of foreplay was taking place. There was no actual penetration because he was too intoxicated to perform sexually. Rise to the occasion. Um, yes. Mickey, I'll put a question to you um, that, that may be wondering whether something like this was, if not inevitable, uh, that the, the kind of the entire concept of this show seemed to be building, putting all the ingredients in place. Um, I'm looking at the New York Times uh, piece on this. It says, look, we want steamy hookups, drunken antics, and tearful regret, but we do not want to be faced with a woman saying she was too intoxicated to consent to sexual activities. When the whole show is about hooking up and the producers are providing copious amounts of alcohol to all the contestants, was something like this destined to happen? One, I'm surprised it hasn't happened before. Um, certainly, you know, Corinne has a history of not being able to hold her liquor very well. Um, and unfortunately for her, again, this is, you know, if, if something non-consensual happened, then yes, that's fine. There's just something about this that has a very, uh, it's making me very skeptical, I should say. Um, simply because Corinne is an exceptionally flirtatious person. She does like to, uh, drink a bit. Um, she doesn't mind using her sexuality as kind of part of her charm, although recently she has hired an attorney I'm seeing here now, TMZ is reporting, um, and, and is blaming the producers for allowing it to happen because they were all drunk. Now, look, I know that these people sign waivers. I know that I, obviously no one wants to watch something that's unconsensual or uncomfortable. And in the event of this, you know, these half-passed-out, half-drunk women – the only thing different about being a bachelor in paradise versus like a bachelor or bachelorette setting is that there's a possibility for more than one person to act on their feelings. Because in a situation that of the bachelor or the bachelorette, as crazy as things get, the reality is there's 25 men and one woman or 25 women and one man. 
So you're not going to have a lot, you know what I mean, kind of like coupling off and things, people off doing things without the full focus of everyone on them. Now, as to what actually happened, I, I suspect at some point we'll probably end up seeing this footage because he's demanding it be released and let's face it, the media loves to release this kind of stuff. Um, if it ends up showing that they were both intoxicated, it certainly brings up the issue of consent. And I think this is why we ultimately end up seeing the production being halted entirely is that this puts ABC in a very precarious situation as it does Warner Brothers, who, who is responsible for it, because this is what they've encouraged. Yeah. It, this is the whole point of the show. Yeah, I'm thinking back to, and I look back, it was 1999 in the real world on MTV where somebody was going to get behind, I think basically got got behind the wheel of a car intoxicated. And the MTV camera crew just kept recording it instead of intervening and saying, you know, we're we're, going to break the fourth wall here. Uh, We're going to intervene. We're going to take away your keys because we can't, you know, um, our, our job as neutral observers recording it all it doesn't extend to the point where we should allow you to commit crimes. I also well, believe I the first season of, oh, of Real World, there was some sort of assault or something mm-hmm. where somebody started, you know. Um, look, I, I think if you're going to – there's a question of responsibility on the part of producers. And I don't know if it's a good idea uh, to get your contestants so uh, drunk that they are no longer capable of controlling their actions. Um, so we'll, we will see, but my guess I think is the type of contestants that they want. I, I think the interesting statement came from Chris Harrison. He said that he wanted to put an end to all the rumors and misinformation out there. He asked people to be respectful of the privacy of the parties involved. Um, and they were going okay, you know, to try to wait. Can you, wait, can you respect the privacy of those involved who are, um, living their lives in front of cameras for, okay. for like, I mean, like, and here's the key part, right? As far as these producers, like say, and in the case of the MTV situation, you know, someone getting behind the wheel and drunk driving, um, certainly in this particular case, this is not a documentary. So as far as, as you talked about breaking that fourth wall, these are producers that sit down and talk with people and they certainly drum up emotions and they attempt to get something going. Um, in order to create, you know, strong storylines. So this is not a documentary film where people could say, you know, well, we we, we were just observing. It, yeah, I was going to say, I, I think uh, if if complicity is a harsh term, uh, people legitimately will ask, wait a minute, <clears throat> if you're seeing something in front of you that, that appears like it might be a crime, um, don't you have an obligation to do something? You know, like like particularly if you've invited them there, uh, to behave and and to you know you you, in other words, you you the producers set up this situation. Uh, at what point are you responsible for what happens in that situation? Particularly if you're inviting you know providing copious amounts of alcohol in the hopes that something um, drunkenly unwise uh, ends up uh, occurring. And I do find cameras. it fascinating that this. Was reported by a field producer, um, not by Corinne herself or one of her representatives. It seems like I'll be very curious to see how much time lapsed between when this was actually filmed and when they act when they ultimately stopped filming. If there were days post that, uh, because I think that would be interesting to see. You know what each of the contestants, in this case Demario and Corinne's reaction was was to that interaction. If it was seen as something that was, you know, oh, I was drunk and it was dumb, or if it was truly something that was, you know, untoward. Yeah. Were were there any indications that she was 
not comfortable with what was going on and, and things like that. Um, yeah, so I guess ultimately, you know, here's the thing. <laughs> Reality shows started stepping into the world of fantasy shows or fictional shows or however we want to describe them. And the idea you know, that maybe, maybe this is why we need to go back to fiction. Um, that you can depict anything you want and it's safe to know that, you know, if you're, whatever you're watching, it's just actors acting. When it's reality, um, I guess maybe a fair question is at some point, does the viewer become complicit uh, in, in a matter like that? So, um, yes. Well, these are dark topics. <laughs> these are, you know, uh, Look, all I have to say about this is, that once again, I was exceptionally excited to watch, about watching this particular episode of Bachelor in Paradise. I will admit to having watched Temptation Island back in the yeah. day um, because, you know what? It's good TV, and if people are willing to put their crap on TV and let the whole world watch it, who am I to stop them? You know who should stop them, Mickey? <laughs> Wonder Woman. That's who should stop them. <laughs> <laughs> well, still be here to save the day. Coming up next. Flight leader to ideal fighter jet. Clear for takeoff. Roger. Flight leader to ideal fighter jet. Turn indicator on. Red warning light will tell you when you're off course. You're flying by radar. Holder steady. Enemy plane coming in at 2 o'clock. Enemy out of machine gun range. Set your range finder. Get set to use rockets. He's in my sight. Rockets ready. Fire one. Fire two. Three. Four. Flying in Ideal's electronic fighter jet is like flying a real jet fighter. It's wonderful. It's ideal. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. The superhero world has been shaken to its gold-banded bracelets over the success of Wonder Woman. And, of course, there's been a great deal of discussion back and forth. But, Jim, I have to believe that you went and saw this movie so you can tell us all about it. I did. You did not? It didn't uh, didn't intrigue you at all? Jim, it takes a lot to get me to go to the theater. And okay. a superhero movie is usually not going to be it unless it's like Guardians of the Galaxy. All right. And I don't really even count that as a superhero movie because it's kind of different. That's a, that's a Chris Pratt shirtless movie as far as you're concerned. With some special it's a talking stuff. animals movie as far okay. as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yes, yeah, saw Wonder Woman. I liked it a great deal. Mrs. Campaign Spot was doing cartwheels over it. She enjoyed it so much. Um, undoubtedly, you've heard a million and one hot takes and woke analyses of the film and arguing about whether it's feminist or not feminist or should her armpits have been unshaven. And uh, look, a couple, first of all, it's a very, very good superhero movie. Um, for everyone who thought that the previous DC uh, comics movies we've seen, Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad, uh, were too dark and depressing and grim and gritty and, to put it shortly, Zack Snydery. Um, this one is completely different. It does feel a bit like the the, the Captain America. Could she America save movie. the franchise? I, I undisputed, indisputably, this is the best movie they've made so far. And all, all all of a sudden now, this is the most interesting part of Justice League. It helps when you have an actress who just seems to have that on screen charisma. 
Uh, Gail Godot just seems to, you know, every time she smiles, the audience wants to smile back at her. And that husky <laughs> voice, too. That's just awesome the way when she talks. She's got that crack in her voice, you know, that old 1940s movie star husky voice. You don't expect that coming from such a young lady. It's a great sound just to listen to her talk. Some of us are less than fully surprised to learn that uh, Wonder Woman is, is, is Israeli. Um, it lives up to the stereotype, you could say. And I also, people have noticed that when she comes from this mythical Greek island, <clears throat> as far as we could tell, Gail Godot kept her, uh, uh, her accent for this role. And they just told all the other actresses, like Robin Wright, just go with what she's doing. <laughs> so she didn't have to, <laughs> to battle to get rid of the Israeli accent or something like that. And it fits her. She's from this different culture. Um, and everything she encounters is new and strange to her. So a couple of things I just want to just shout out as being this movie does really well. Uh, besides the fact that, yes, it's visually exciting and a, uh, a brighter color palette and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, is the movie feminist? What's great is that, yes, you can interpret it as, yes, this, you know, this important statement about the inherent power of a woman and things like that. Or you can just enjoy it. Um, there was not an enormous amount of male bashing or... Uh, this is why men are the problem of the world or something like that. So if, if, if feminists are watching this movie and enjoying it, fantastic. If you don't think of yourself as particularly feminist, great. What I think is you – know, what's worth notable about Wonder Woman, she is not a feminine version of a pre-existing male character. <clears throat> this is not Supergirl. This is not uh, Batgirl. Uh, a couple of years ago in the comics, they turned Thor into a woman. And it all seemed like this really heavy-handed way of like, look, we've got women characters too. No, no. Wonder Woman stands on her own um, as a character who's really uh, intriguing and, and exciting and heroic and all that stuff on her own terms. Not to say, well, this is a woman hero. Um, this is indisputably just a heroic character. Second thing which is interesting is we've seen this kind of cookie-cutter model of superhero movies where the emotional journey is a person who is a little bit arrogant, uh, a person who is a little bit self-absorbed, uh, needs to learn how to care for others, and this is what makes them a hero. We've seen this in Iron Man. We've seen this in Thor. You will see it in The Mummy, by the way, just, uh, just that, giving right, you a heads I mean, up. It's become uh, – it's, it's very it's, – when done well, it's really good and, and enjoyable, uh, a good lesson for every hero to learn, but it's a little bit tired at this point. Wonder Woman's emotional journey is not about caring with people. She already begins carrying the movie, caring about people. Her emotional journey is about her naivete. Um, without giving too many great spoilers, <coughs> um, she believes that the reason World War I is going on, and the movie is set during the time of World War I, is this nefarious Greek demigod Ares, who is the god of war and who is stirring hatred in the minds of man. And she's very much convinced that if she just defeats Ares, humanity will stop fighting. And war will end and violence will end and all that stuff. And there's this great moment where she, see, she achieves her mission and she realizes that that's not really it. And she and uh, Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine of the, uh, Chris, <clears throat> excuse me, Chris Pine of the Star Trek movies, um, comes out and says, you know, maybe the problem is with us humans. And, and I kind of felt like this was a nice moral acknowledgement uh, amongst, uh, for, you know, a fairly sophisticated point to make for a superhero movie that, Humanity carries its own flaws. Uh, whether or not you believe in a devil or, or a demonic figure, uh, inevitably there is still moral agency on each individual person on whether they decide to be violent or to do something, uh, to do something wrong or something like that. And that, that Wonder Woman realizes that it's not about 
defeating this otherworldly sense of evil. It is about setting a better example. Uh, and that's one of the things that makes her heroic and stuff. Also worth noting that as much as this is clearly taking place in a world with other superheroes, other than a couple of quick vague references here and there, um, this is a movie that is basically focused on telling her story. And I think that simplicity works for it. Instead of saying, wait, get ahead. This is leading into Justice League. Here's a reference to Aquaman. Oh, here comes. Look, you know. You, you can stuff your, your movie with too many Easter eggs. Well, and, I was uh, a little I, disturbed, though, that the Nazis could not figure out that they should shoot at her feet. How many bullets do they have to reflect off that little round shield before they realize her feet are there exposed underneath the shield? If they just shoot her in the feet, they could stop her from this advance across the battlefield. Come on, well, Nazis! Remember, these are only World War One Germans. Oh, that's right. So they're, they're not Nazis they're not. yet. They didn't learn that till World War Two. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so I have to ask, because one of the things that I found most fascinating was... Suddenly, every woman, child, uh, girl in America was a Wonder Woman fan. Um, and there were reports, and of course, all over social media, people taking pictures of themselves and others that dressed as Wonder Woman to go to the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some look good as Wonder Woman, some not so much. Um, you know, but whatever to each their own. What it did make me think about though was like when spider-man came out i don't remember a bunch of people dressing up as spider-man this reminds me of very star wars like behavior that's true um and 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 again a very odd cult following that i don't know that i even knew existed that is an interesting point um that you're right there there is much more of a dress-up element um if you're one of my facebook friends you know what mrs campaign spot looks like as wonder woman Mm -hmm. and it's fabulous uh, Mickey, if you want to try one on, that, that whole corset. No. <laughs> Many women can pull it off. Um, it is interesting. And I think that, look, my, uh, my wife was a big fan of the, the Linda Carter series, right? And, you know, the, we look at it now and it's cheesy and it's silly. But maybe if you're a girl, um, seeing a woman who is every bit as cool as, as Batman, uh, rest in peace, Adam West, uh, or any of these other characters, you know, you're like, hey, I can be like that. And that's, you know, you boys play that hero. I'm going to play this character. Um, and maybe that's one of the things that makes this character exciting in a way that Storm or Jean Grey or one of these other characters doesn't. Or maybe it just, you know, it, it looks very uh, intriguing or something like well, that. Well, that's a key part of it, in my opinion, is that she maintains her sexuality. Yes, that's, it, that's the other thing. Yeah. And it's a very, you know, it, 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 it's part of her costume, but it's very clear that she's a woman, she's attractive, she's fit. Um, you know, not saying that all the superwomen that I saw, or Wonder Women, rather, that I saw um, <laughs> dressed up for this war, but I think that that's a key part of her element is that she's kind of a sexy superhero. Yeah, and, and not, um, <clears throat> not necessarily in the way that maybe a Catwoman is or something, that it's, it's a... Uh, it's a very it's a feminine and it's indisputably attractive and I think many people would say sexy without being um, too explicit. Like you could have a kid watch the old Linda Carter series or this movie, and nothing in it is too explicit. Um, in fact, we were very much debating whether we should take the boys. For what it's worth, by the way, my boys are not that intrigued by it. I think I think Mrs. Campaign Spot very much wants to take them more than they want to go themselves. <laughs> we'll see if that. Uh, well, that I think that out. the. The absolute best assessment um, recommendation that I saw was actually from Linda Carter herself, who should have made everyone um, feel much better about going to see the movie. And if you haven't, certainly a reason to go and see it. But she gave it the stamp of approval. And 
was extremely pleased with Ms. Godot's portrayal of Wonder Woman and of the film in general. And I don't know that you can get a, a really better recommendation than her. You got to know also that uh, Ms. Godot handled the uh, fighting scenes really, really well. I mean, you couldn't believe that she comes from the background of a supermodel. She looks like she's trained in martial arts, and I would wager she trained at it for months before they even started shooting. Wait, as if that wasn't enough, and as if she wasn't Wonder Woman-esque you know, uh, enough for herself. My understanding is that she did the reshoots, not the whole film, but anything they went back and had to redo uh, while six months pregnant. Yes, and uh, still which, looked you know, good. Matt, I'll be with at that point, give her the golden lasso. She is a that, superhero. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, we have now run long on this segment, but uh, we will come back. We don't have a Trivial Tuesday contest this week, but we have some closing thoughts right after this. When you're out to get the beer, don't fool around, get the best name in the business, oh, old Milwaukee beer, it tastes as great as its name. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show, I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. You know, every year brings a lot of really important meetings, whether it's CPAC, or the NRA annual meeting, or the NATO summit. But, oh, all of these pale in comparison. Gwyneth Paltrow has held the first official goop summit. Uh, <laughs> not goop in terms of, of slime or, or snot or anything like that, as far as I know, Mickey. Um, but, no, so this is for her, her you know, catalog slash lifestyle magazine. Mickey, how did we not get press passes for the goop summit? I don't know, but I feel like I'm going to need to apply. Um, since this was the inaugural event, um, we obviously didn't have enough information on this because you and I really should be there covering this for our listeners up close and personal. Or, or mocking from the balcony like Statler and Waldorf. There were only 500 tickets available um, for the event, and they were sold out. And the tickets ranged from 500 to $1,500. To attend. And, and what did you get at a Goop Summit besides well, that, you know, Goop? As you know, as our listeners know, Goop is Gwyneth Paltrow's brand. It started out as her blog and her website, and it's developed. She's got a magazine now, and she's getting picked up with all these people. And this is the place where she likes to give everyone health and wellness tips. How to live better, like Gwyneth. Um, and so uh, the, the opening line for the New York Post um, article on this absolutely was perfect to me. Gwyneth Paltrow's inaugural Health and Wellness Summit on Saturday kicked off just as you'd expect it. Well-groomed women wearing yoga pants and expensive handbags, hooking them, themselves up to IVs and oxygen tubes in a parking lot. Experiences otherwise associated with the glamour of getting triaged at a disaster site. <laughs> And um, it is my understanding. But it's luxury oxygen. Yes, it's luxury oxygen. Apparently, you were able to buy any of the Goop materials and the Goop swag. They weren't giving it away, mind you. But you could buy a $35 water bottle, a $100 hoodie. Um, They even had a little flight pack that uh, consisted of um, some magnesium packets, a sleep mask, earbuds, and moisturizer for just $198. Yay. Um, wow. You know, so isn't it interesting? So we, you and I would have said, because we, you know, for those, you know, most longtime listeners realize that Gwyneth Paltrow is the designated punching bag of the Jim and Mickey show. Um, and we, you know, not every episode, but usually something related to her insane 
lifestyle magazine or or pricey uh, off color. Um, tasteless object catalog. Uh, I would like you to know, and I would like our listeners to know, because I'm sure they are curious. Um, these are the jade eggs that we discussed that she recommended that women insert in their woohoos. Uh. Um, they were available and for sale for just $66. Ooh, great deal. Great deal. <laughs> get, get one for all your friends. Um, but isn't it interesting that, like, you know, a couple of years ago, you might have said, oh, Gwyneth Paltrow from uh, the Iron Man movies or something like that. And instead, it's like, no, it's, it's Gwyneth Paltrow, the world's most insane lifestyle diva. Uh, yes, according <laughs> or to the New York Object Guru, you know. According to the New York Post article, um, there were actually about 50 women that got up and just walked out <laughs> of one of the seminars. And I'm thinking, first of all, why did you pay the 500 to $1,500 in the first place? Like, were you not familiar with her work? Yeah, it's just people who think, oh, I really thought this was going to be normal or something like that. Look, she's becoming Martha Stewart on LSD. Now, this one was in L.A., and the next one's going to be in New York. So perhaps, um, you know, she was really just appealing to the wrong audience. She's accomplished an incredible thing in my book. She's made Trump University look like a bargain. <laughs> well, and then there's that. I mean, it's, it's really – it's very difficult for me as someone um, – the, the, apparently one of the more controversial seminars because, again, there were seminars throughout the day where, you know, Gwyneth discussed different things and there were different, quote, health doctors, et cetera, there. Um, apparently, she did a 10-minute facelift and um, they did it on stage. This was apparently too much for some of the people in attendance. But, again, I feel like at this point that, if you went to this not knowing, one, you have too much money to spend on stupid tickets, um, and two— You probably just came back from Fire Festival. Yeah, it, it, it's very hard to—it's very—this is her lifestyle brand. This is her brand that she is trying to sell to women everywhere, that you could all live healthier if you were willing to put leeches on your face or let somebody sew you up with some type of sugar um, string to get a tightener on your face— these are not things that the normal woman is going to see and or do. So, you know, maybe limiting it to 500 tickets was the way to go, even in a city the size of L.A. Yeah. You're going to the freak show. You have no idea what Gwyneth Paltrow is going to offer. But at the very least, it will be extremely unusual and bizarre. And you'll wonder who on God's green earth would actually want to do that. And I think the most important thing that we have learned is obviously that, yes, you and I must apply for press passes for the New York event because I, I would love to see this up close and personal. But there's no way I'm spending two grand to get there. No, that's that's bonkers. And, you know, and of course, uh, I need to have an extra couple thousand dollars laying around just to pick up tchotchkes. Well, I was going to say, isn't most of her lifestyle plans, be, you know, start with Iron Man uh, residuals? To finance yes. all these decisions. <laughs> First be born into a very wealthy family. Yeah. So Hollywood that's royalty, really yeah. like step one. Step one, be born into Hollywood royalty. Step two, you know, get yourself some good career backing under the Iron Man franchises, whereas, you know, she obviously made a great deal of her money, even though she was in movies like Shakespeare in Love and other things. Let's face it, you know, the money that she's made has probably been more off those type of franchises than the others. What's fascinating to me is that there is a market for this. And as we've said, you know, throughout the show previously, does that say more about Gwyneth or does that say something about us as consumers? Our philosophical question to close on, Mickey. 
know. That is it. And with look, God, look, here look, we look are. Look in ourselves. Yes, we've come to the end of another fast-paced hour of the Jim and Mickey show. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, we will be back soon, and uh, you can listen to all of our po- previous podcasts at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can always find us on Twitter at Jim and Mickey or at Jim Garrigity at Bias Girl or at Big Dave P. Thanks again, listeners. Um, sorry for the long hiatus. It's going to be a crazy summer, but stick with us. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you're listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey show. <laughs>